Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. I am so glad that we're able to gather together today, man. Are you guys excited to be here? It's How cool is it? It's It's been awesome, but I mean, God has been doing a different work, right? But he's been at work, but he's been doing a different work. And, and so as we come back into this place, what we don't want to do is go back into a rut, or if we were in a rut, right? I mean, I really firmly believe that one of the things that God is doing, and he's stirring up his church, and I believe that there's been so much comfort and, um, you know, and, and things like that in the church that God wants to shake us up a little bit, and he's saying, hey, man, uh, you know, let's see who, who really are worshipers, because if you're going to worship at home, whether you're going to worship here, it doesn't matter where you are, because we know we're, we're born to worship, we're worshipers, it's not an event that we go to, it's something that we do, it's a lifestyle. And so I believe really that God is doing a work currently of, of really speaking into people's lives and saying, hey, where are you? Where are you with me? Are you a worshiper? Are you going to worship me uh, no matter what it takes, or are you going to worship me? And, uh, you know, as I was praying about, we finished 2 Thessalonians, and I was asking the Lord, Lord, you know, this is such a unique time in the history of the world, and I believe that your hand is involved in this. Where would you have us to go? I mean, I could go right into 1 Timothy, and it would be fine. It's the Word of God, and it would really speak into our lives and all these kinds of things. It's more of a pastoral uh, letter that Paul is writing to Timothy regarding the, his, you know, being a pastor and all of that. And we could go through that verse by verse, and, and it would be impactful for sure, but but Lord, what would you have us go through right now? Where would you have us go? And the Lord just spoke to my heart, Daniel. I want you to be in the book of Daniel. And uh, the more I kind of looked at the book of Daniel, I read through the book of Daniel, the more I kind of, the more it was just so confirming in my heart, like the Lord is saying, that's you. That's, that's my church. This is what I'm going to be doing. You know, we went through Haggai not too long ago, which happened during, uh, as the children of Israel were coming out of captivity. Daniel happens as the children of Israel go into the Babylonian captivity. And so it's really talking about how do we navigate through um, life? How do we live for the Lord in a culture that is not living for the Lord? You know, uh, the, the exiles, um, the, those who were carried away into exile from Judah, from Israel, they could, have, they could have given themselves a pass, right? They could have said, well, we're in Babylon, so, you know, we can't really go to the synagogue or we can't really go to the temple, right? I guess it was the temple back then. We can't really do the sacrifices. We can't really do all of these things that we're, we normally would do, so let's just not do anything. It would be easy for them to do that. And in fact, the culture that they're going into is really wanting them to do that. That's the whole point of them bringing them into Babylon is to wipe away their heritage, to remove the thread that has been passed on from generation to generation of worshiping the, 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 the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Right? And so as they, as they go into this place, they have to really dig deep. They have to look at their relationship with the Lord, and they have to wonder, where am I with you, Lord? And I thought, well, how appropriate is it that we go into that book with the same sort of mindset. And so I'm super excited to obviously gather together physically, but I'm super excited to be in the book of Daniel. Now, many of you guys are familiar with the book of Daniel, and you're familiar with, you know, the stories of Daniel, the accounts of Daniel. These are, these are um, you know, accounts that have been passed down through children's ministry. You, if you've been involved in any kind of a church in any shape or form as a child, then you know who Daniel is, Right? Daniel in the lion's den, of course, and 
you know, um, some of us feel like we've been there, and, uh, but the Lord gives us great, great comfort in knowing that the Lord can protect us in dangerous places. And so there's Daniel in the lion's den. And, and then we, we, we find, remember, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, those are their, their Babylonian names. We'll talk about that in a moment. But they get thrown into the fiery furnace, remember? Because they will not bow down to Nebuchadnezzar. They're not going to worship him. They're going to stay true to the Lord, and they're going to pay the price for it. And remember, it was the Lord. They, when, when Nebuchadnezzar gazed into the fire, those who were who were stoking the fire, died because of the heat, by the way. And uh, you guys probably remember that. But, but as Nebuchadnezzar looks in, he says, did we throw three or four guys in there? Because there was three, and now there's four, and the fourth looks like the Son of Man. You know, and, and, and obviously the Lord had gone into the fire with them. And, and so these are truths that we, we grasp onto and we hold onto um, from our childhood on um, about knowing that God is able to protect us in difficult situations and hard times. And so that might be applicable to us as we continue on in our culture. There may be some hard times coming for us, but the question is, is will we trust the Lord? And will we, will we lean on his character, on, his, on who he says he is, on the things that we've seen him do in the, in the Bible? We can trust him. And that's the point. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to Daniel chapter 1. If you need a Bible, uh, raise your hand. We'll grab you one real quick. I, kn I know that's probably not PC, but I've never said I was. So um, if you need a Bible, uh, you, you can actually just get up and grab one. So do that if you want. But Daniel chapter 1, and uh, we're, we're starting a new series called Counterculture. Counterculture, and it's a guide to how to live for the Lord in a culture that is very much contrary to him. And so it's it's it's. How can we stay focused on the Lord in a culture that is totally going away from the Lord? Living in the world is tough, right? It's super tough, man, because everywhere you look, there's temptations, there's abominations, there's all kinds of things that are trying to sway you away from the Lord. And so, you know, we need to be reminded of a foundation that we have that we can hold on to in every situation. Uh, we, we, a lot of times we, we, we want, we're like, oh, okay, well, I'm just going to, I'm going to pray for the culture, right? That's what we do a lot of times is we just say, okay, well, I'm just going to pray that God will change that. And that's a good prayer. There's nothing wrong with that. I think that's appropriate to pray for the culture. You know, we want to pray for our nation. That's biblical. The Bible tells us to. But what if the prayer was, Lord, here I am, send me. Use me to change the culture. Lord, Send me into the place and into the dark places of this world and use me to impact this world. I think that also is biblical, and I really believe that that's who God has called us to. You don't think it's a coincidence that you were born in this generation of people, do you? You don't think it's a coincidence that God placed you in your city, he placed you in your workplace, he placed you everywhere that you are for such a time as this. Oh, we read the story of Esther but here's the thing is, you're in the story. You are Esther. He has put you where you are for his purpose and for his glory. And you know what? What an, what a, what an awesome thing for us. We need to be reminded of that, I think, sometimes. Lord, what am I doing here? I've got a call on my life. I've got a call, man. I, you know, some, whatever, 20-some years ago, I said to Jesus, I will follow you. I will follow you. I'm going to go wherever you go, Lord. 
Well, let me tell you, Jesus goes to some pretty gnarly places. Jesus goes to some pretty dark places. Jesus goes to some pretty scary places, as it were, relating to me. His disciples will confirm that through their testimonies in the, the Gospels, right? But here's the thing, is he's paved the path for us. And he's called us to follow him. And that, that's what we're going to do. We're going to follow the Lord. We're going to say, Lord, I, wanted, I want you to use me to change the culture. The Lord, when he descended from on high, when he came as a baby, he grew up just like you did. Jesus, you know, he grew up and he, he, he learned like you learned. And he was tempted like you're tempted. He did all the things that you and I do on a normal basis. And the one thing that he didn't do is he didn't start a revolution against the Romans. He didn't go picket signs and tell people, these are my rights. What he did was he said, I'm going to impact the world one person at a time. And I believe that that is the mandate that's been handed down to us. Now, with that said, that doesn't mean that there aren't people that God has called to do those things. And I was talking to, to Gene earlier this week. I said, listen, you know, here's, here's the way I look at the world and the way I look at it through the biblical lens. I believe that God has called me to be a pastor. That's what I'm going to focus on. I can't worry about what's happening in legislation because that's not my call. It's not that I'm not concerned about it, but at the end of the day, that's not my calling. My calling is to do this. And somebody will ra be raised up to handle that specific situation. If God wants it handled, he'll send a person to handle it. You know, and of course, we always want to be open because maybe that person is you. But, but at the end of the day, if it's something that God wants to have dealt with, he will send somebody to do it. And so, you know, um, it, I, I, I just kind of look at the world like, you know, hey, I need to be focused on what I'm called to do. And you need to be focused on what you're called to do. We all have a general calling in our lives, the Great Commission, to go into the world to make disciples, to tell people about Jesus, of course, you know, but, but my calling is not to change the culture by being, um, you know, through legislation. I don't see Jesus doing that. And what I don't see is I don't see Daniel doing that either. As we, we get into this book, we, there's going to be a challenge for us here. There's going to be an interesting challenge for us here as we walk through this. We're going to see how to navigate through, because he's dealing with the government, right? He's dealing with uh, the king and all of these kinds of things. We're going to see how Daniel navigates through this. And it's interesting, because he's not only speaking for himself in this matter. He's going to be speaking on behalf of other people, too. And so God did raise him up for, to, to be a spokesperson. But we're going to see how we can maintain a, a, a solid, uh, successful Walk with the Lord as, as we live in a culture that's doing the exact opposite of that. So um, stand with me and let's read the very first verses of Daniel chapter 1. It says, In the third year, the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand and some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his gods and place the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Aspenaz, uh, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, use without blemish, uh, 
of good appearance and skillful in wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were uh, to be educated for three years. At the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belshazzar. Hananiah he called Shadrach. Mishael he called um, Meshach. And Azariah he called Abednego. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. We ask you, Lord, to speak to our hearts, Lord, to, to speak into our lives right now, Lord. Help us to hear from you. Lord, um, we want to surrender all of, our, all of what we call our rights to you right now, Lord. We're slaves of Christ if we are in you. And so we want to give ourselves over to you and to your word. Make us uh, hear your word this morning and be obedient to it, Lord. There's areas that we need to change, Lord. Speak into those areas. If there's areas we need encouragement, Lord, will you encourage us this morning? Father, you know our needs this morning. We just thank you that you're faithful to meet us where we are. And uh, you're a loving Father. And uh, we just love you back this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, you can be seated. So let me ask you a question. When you find yourself in a place that you don't want to be, your back's up against the wall or whatever, you have no way out, how do you respond to that? Think about that for a second. How do you typically respond? I'm not talking about how you think you should answer that question. I'm talking about how you really do respond to that. Like when you're in a situation like that and you're, you're, you know, you're, you have no hope. What are you going to do? A lot of times we get angry. A lot of times we take, try and take control of the situation. We're going to say, well, I'm going to take the bull by the horns and I'm going to do this and that and whatever, you know. And listen, if you respond to that, that end can lead you to a place of actual destruction. It's like to be so aggressive that you become destructive. And people uh, destroy their lives as a result of that. Why? Because they felt like they were backed into a place where they had nowhere to pivot. And so what they did is they just came out charging like a bull. And they wrecked their life as a result of that, right? That's one response. The other response is the direct opposite of, of that. And some of us are really good at that one. You know, where we, where we just lay down and die. We do nothing. We're just like, oh, man, this is just too overwhelming. I just can't handle this situation. I don't know where to turn. There is no hope. Why would I bother even getting worked up about it? Because there's really ultimately nothing I can do about it. So I just lay down and die. That ultimately, and, and to, 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 to be honest, the extreme end of that, you know what that is? Suicide. That's the extreme end of just totally giving up. To where you get to a place where you just say, man, I'm so tired of fighting that I just say, enough is enough, I have no hope, I'm, I'm out, right? Neither one of those responses are biblical. Neither one of those responses are biblical when we get ourselves backed up into a corner, when we get ourselves backed up to a place of despair, into a place of despair. The biblical response to adversity in our lives is found in this little phrase, bloom where you're planted, 
bloom where you're planted. What do I mean? What I mean is bloom where you're planted. Don't become so aggressive and take control and try and change your circumstances because that honestly never works, does it? Don't become so hopeless that you just totally give up. But listen, look at the situation and just say, you know what, Lord? This is where you have me, so this is where I'll grow. You're trying to show me something, God. And so as we look at our, our lives, as we look at our circumstances, you know, there was a reason why we picked the songs that we picked this morning. Because if you didn't hear the theme in the songs, the theme was this. No matter what, God is in control. No matter what, I can trust the Lord because he is sovereign He's in control. He knows he's at work, and if he's allowed me to be in this situation, for whatever the reason is that I'm in it. And let me just say there are 150,000 different reasons why you could be in your situation, but we could boil it all down to one place, and it's the Lord has allowed you and even sometimes orchestrated the circumstances that you find yourself in this morning because he's trying to speak to you, because he's trying to say something to you. He's trying to do something through you. He is accomplishing something. But here's the overlying truth is that God is in control. And there's no better place, I don't think, to really consider this. I mean, of course, we could go to the book of Job. But we could go to the book of Daniel and we can see this. And and we're going to see this very clearly in in the passage this morning that it's the Lord that put them there specifically. And there's a reason for it. You know, we need to bloom where we're planted. So oftentimes we're looking over the fence to somebody else's field and we're saying, oh, if only that were my life, then I would be okay. No, listen, if that was your life, you'd be looking over another fence saying, oh, if only that was my life because you're not willing to be content where you are. It's a reality that we all have to face. Like we have to be content in the field that God put us in. You know, he he leads us by still waters. He puts us in pastures. And maybe that pasture is a little thorny, and maybe it's not fun, but he put you in that place to speak to you, to draw you, to to, to reveal himself to you. There's a reason. And so we want to consider that. Lord, what are you doing? Man, we have to be careful about how we handle adversity in our lives. You know, we, we should really, you know that phrase, you know, when life deals you lemons, make what? Lemonade. That should be the Christian response to adversity. You know, I I understand that I'm in a sucky situation, and it doesn't mean it's going to be fun, but my God's in control, and I know that he's going to see me through this. And here's the thing. If you do that, if you do that, I promise you, I, I promise you that you will go to places in your relationship with the Lord that you could never, ever have gone to any other way. How do I know? Because I've done this for a while. And I've seen God do this in my life. And listen, I I sometimes get mad and angry and I respond the wrong way that way. Sometimes I become hopeless and I quit and I lay down and I cry myself to sleep at times. Hey, listen, we're human beings, but the the appropriate response is, Lord, I'm going to trust you and I'm going to grow through this as you show me how to do it, Lord. Just be with me. Bloom where you're planted. There was a a bishop in uh, Geneva in in 1567, and he said this, True charity has no limit. 
For the love of God has been poured out into the hearts by his spirit, dwelling in each one of us, calling us, listen, to a life of devotion and inviting us to bloom in the garden where he has planted and directing us to radiate the beauty and spread the fragrance of his providence. The fact that he's in control of the fact that, you know, he put me where I am and, he know, he, and he's done it for good reason. He knows that there's a reason why I'm where I am. And some of it is my own doing, but God's still at work in it because he loves you enough to not allow you to just live in your sin. He loves you enough to, to say, listen, I'm not going to let you destroy your life like that. Let me try and get your attention. He wouldn't be a, an awesome, loving God if he didn't do that, right? He loves you that much. And just like a parent would to a child, that's how he is to us, but far greater. This is such a great word for us at, at this time in our culture because our culture is pulling away from what we call our Christian roots, both nationally but also, I would say, religiously. I would say that it's not just happening at, on, in a legislative standpoint, but it's happening in the church, folks, that people have pulled away from the Word of God. They're pulling away from the truth of the Bible, and, and we're making Christianity this Americanized, I don't even know what it is, to be honest with you, but it's not the Bible. It's definitely not the gospel that we read in the Bible, right? And um, there's, there's, there's a lot of churches that have departed the, the true word of God and allowed all these abominations before the Lord saying, oh, well, God's okay with that. He's okay with this and all these sorts of things. No, he's not. And do you really think that he's going to allow that to happen, continue to happen over and over again? Here's what I know, and here's, what's, here's what I see through the thread of Scripture, is God always addresses sin. And sometimes when it has to happen at a national level, like where he has to address a country like Israel, what he will do is, he will address the entire country, but he will, he will provide for the remnant through it. And so the true church, the people who are really living for the Lord, um, listen, you have nothing to fear, zero to fear about anything that happens anywhere because God will see you through, right? He's going to see you through it. But, but what he's trying to do, I believe, in our culture today is really um, sort of ramp up and, and, and put his finger uh, upon those who are sacrificing and worshiping to the God of Mammon and also to the God of Eros. Because we live in a culture that is uh, really primarily about two things, and you can see it everywhere. It's about money and it's about sex. And if you, you can see that across the board in a whole bunch of different venues, no matter where you go, you're going to face, you go out these doors, you're going to see that right away. Those two things. You're just gonna, that's just the way that the world in, in our culture is operating. And I think, you know, specifically America. I mean, we have the American dream. Is that the biblical dream or is it the, the man-centered dream? No, it's, I believe that it's a pursuit of man. It's a pursuit of pleasure. It's a pursuit of self. And I am thankful that I got to be born in this country, but I have a responsibility with the freedom that I've been given, that I, that I live for the Lord and that I do it in a way that's honoring to him, that I don't get sucked into sensuality and I don't get sucked into all of this stuff. Listen, I didn't grow up a Christian and I didn't, I didn't grow up with those sort of values, but the more I read the Bible, that's what I hear him saying. Don't let yourself, don't live for yourself. You got to live for me. But, uh, you know, here's the thing is you were planted in this environment. So the Lord said, I want Tim Romero to be born 
April 30th, 1972 in Billings, Montana. And, you know, in, in October of 1999, I'm going to move him to Florida, and he's going to do some stuff there. And after that, he's going he's to move up to Tennessee in 2007. He's going to plant a church there, and I'm going to have him, you know, do, do these certain things. And here I am today as a result of what? His plan. As a result of his plan. You can say, oh, well, what about all the mistakes you made through the process? I love what Pastor Chuck said. If you didn't hear what he said last week, you need to write this down. Everything is preparation for something. Everything is preparation for something. God utilizes every single mistake that you make to draw you to a place where he, he can use you. In other words, there's what's called the perfect will of God. That's walking dire directly down the center line of God's will. But then there's what's called the permissive will of God, where he allows you to, to, to you know, think that you're taking the path that, like, I'm, watch this, Lord. I'm going to do my own thing. He's going to say, go for it. Well, go for it. I, I already know where I'm going to take you with this, but go for it. So, so go ahead and do your thing, you know. And then he'll allow us to do these things. But all the while, we will end up to where he wants us to be in the first place. You know, we can sit here and think like, well, what if I did this or didn't do this and all that kind of stuff? That's, it, listen, God knew from the foundation of the world exactly what you were going to do. He knew every decision you were going to make. He knew every mistake he was going to make. And, and he, he, he made provision for you. You know, and, and he has a path for you. And he has a plan for you. And of course, we can, we can buck that. We can, we can do that. But we will never, ever be outside of God in, in the sense of him not understanding or knowing where we're going or what we're doing. You're never going to hear God go, uh-oh, man, what's he doing now? He's that much in control. And I think that we have, we, we're, we have to be careful that we don't bring God down to a level because we don't understand what it means to be sovereign or, you know, that he's in control of everything, that we bring him down to a human level and say, yeah, but listen, the Bible clearly speaks of these things. So we trust them even though we don't fully understand them. And we can't because he's God. We need to bloom where we're planted. There's three things that I want to show you out of the book of Daniel here this morning regarding how to bloom where you're planted. First and foremost, we need to consider the source of our planting. Right? In, the, in, in verse 1, it says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, uh, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, and with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them into the land of Shinar to the house of his God and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Now, Daniel, who is the author of this book, is um, writing at a time period where Ju Judah and Jerusalem are being punished by God because, listen, they have, they have gone after false gods. That, that's the whole reason why they're, they're going down this line, why they're being taken into captivity is because not only were they offering to idols there in, in Judah and, um, and Israel, but they were literally offering their children to the Canaanite um, god Molech. And if you know anything about Molech, Molech is this, this beast-looking man kind of beast or ox kind of looking thing that um, they, they, his hands would be out like this, and he would be sitting on this throne with his hands out like that, and they would build a fire under his hands, and then the children of Israel would take their babies, and they would lay them up in his hot hands and watch them sizzle and die. That's why God said, enough is enough. I am not going to stand for this. 
I'm not going to allow you to offer up the innocent little babies in this way. And so he said, he spoke a word several generations back before it even happened. He told Josiah, who brought reformation to the children of Judah, he said, Josiah, listen, because you have responded in lament and repentance towards me, you will not see that day, but your children will. And guess what? Jehoiakim is Josiah's second son. And so Josiah was put away with his fathers. He died and he was buried. And then his son took over. His first son took over. He was taken captive into Egypt. And then his second brother, who the, 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 the Pharaoh put in place in Judah at the time, was Jehoiakim. This wasn't his real name. They changed his name. But now he is king at the time here. And it says that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem to besiege it. He, Babylon, the Babylonians had already taken over the Egyptians. Now they were going to overtake all of the rest of the known world. And they were knocking on Judah's door. And here we have Jehoiakim and all the, the children of Judah sitting in behind the walls of Jerusalem, shaking, no doubt, being cut off from all, all their food supply, all of these different things, waiting. Here's what I want you to understand is not so much the fact that Nebuchadnezzar was on the other side of the fence. But, but listen to this. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, a king of Judah, into his hands. Whose doing was this? Was this Nebuchadnezzar's doing? No. This was the Lord's doing. 605 B.C., the Lord says, enough is enough. I'm going to now act upon what I've already told you was going to happen. You will be carried away into captivity uh, as the Lord spoke through the prophet Jeremiah for 70 years. You're going to be taken into captivity and in, into Babylon for 70 years. Babylon, listen, who belonged to the devil, was being used by God to punish his children for their disobedience. And so the Lord allowed them to be taken captive. Here's what I love about this. This is the pride of man. Here's the pride of man found in this passage. After Nebuchadnezzar, after the Lord gave Jehoiakim into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar, you know what he did? It says he carried away the vessels of the, 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 some of the vessels from the temple of God and carried them away to Babylon and put them into the temple of Babylon um, there uh, before the god Murduk. Murduk, he was like the, the storm god, the god of agriculture, the god of, of um, you know, the, the weather and all of these kinds of things. And so what a culture would do when they battled against somebody else is they would, they would take the treasures of their temple and they, it was a way for them to basically say, hey, my god is better than your god. And so they took the treasures, they, they put them in their temple, and then, then they, would, they would all rejoice saying, look how powerful our god is. Remember when the Philistines did that with the Ark of the Covenant? And Dagon, the god there, the fish man, they put, it, they put the Ark of the Covenant before Dagon, and, and they came in the next day after they had, the Philistines had put it there, and guess what happened? Dagon, it, he was fell down right on his face, bowing down to the, uh, the, the, the Ark of the Covenant. The next day, they set him back up. They keep the Ark of the Covenant there. He come, they come back. Not only is he bowed down, now his head's chopped off and his hands are chopped off. So they said, whoa. This is crazy. Then the Lord sends a plague through their town, and they're like, let's get this thing out of here, right? Your God may be bigger than our God, so we're going to go ahead and move this Ark of the Covenant out of the way. 
It was just a way for man to say, look how great we are. Look at the things that we've done. What a joke. Murdoch wasn't the reason why the children of Judah were being carried away into captivity. It was because the Lord allowed it to happen. The Lord did that. The garden Daniel was being planted in was of the Lord's doing. I look around and, 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 I, and I see what we're experiencing today, and I, I think people are, are, are saying all kinds of things about why this is happening. Why, this is what's going on. This, here's the reality. We, we don't know why. We don't know 100% why these things happen. Here's what we do know. God's in control. It's a real simple answer. God is in control, and I will trust him, and I'm going to trust him in that situation. It's easy to say, uh, you know, it's easy to say I'll trust him, but it's hard to trust him sometimes in, in our pain, isn't it? When we lose a baby, we get diagnosed with a disease, or something like that happens, you know, we say, before that we're saying, oh, Lord, I'm all yours, I'm all yours, and then something like that happens, and we say, God, I can't believe you did that to me. Here's, here's maybe what the Lord is trying to tell us. The Lord wants to tell us like, hey, listen, I love you. And he didn't orchestrate necessarily that, that situation, whatever the circumstances, but, but the Lord wants to work through that circumstance and he wants to tell us, listen, listen, you have to trust me in those places of pain. You have to trust me with, with all of the, the hurts and the, the, just Gene's testimony was perfect. You have to trust me with those things, and you have to deliver those to me. Am I the God of everything else but those things? Or am I the God of everything in your life? All the tears, all the pain, am I that God to you? I look around and I think, like, how in the world can God allow us to kill in our own country 650,000 babies a year? How can the Lord continue to allow the world to sacrifice for the sake of self over 50 million babies a year. You tell me that the Lord isn't going to stand up one day and say enough is enough, and I believe that the Lord is standing up saying enough is enough. Listen, we, are, we, we, we might not call him Molech, but there is sacrificing going on today in the name of abortion, folks. And so, you know, I, I believe the Lord is at work through the, the circumstances that we find ourselves in today for that purpose. And as we see, we see all kinds of different things going on. Um, you know, the devil is at work for sure in the world. And he's trying to, to silence the church and remove, um, you know, us out of the picture and all of these kinds of things. But the Lord cares about the lost people. The Lord cares about the people who are the most despicable people that you could think of. He loves them the, as much as he loves you, and that's hard for us to get. But he wants to grab a hold of their lives. And I believe that, again, prophetically and eschatologically, I believe that we are at a place right now where God is shaking the entire world right now, saying, I'm coming. There is impending judgment coming. This is nothing. This is nothing compared to what will be coming for seven years during the tribulation period. People need to get right with God, and it needs to start with his church. So, so the Lord is telling Judah, he's, he's telling us through Daniel right here that he is the orchestrator of what's happening in Babylon. He's the one that set it up. This is how it's going to happen. This is exactly what's gonna, how it's going to go down. So Daniel... And the rest of the exiles going into Babylon, bloom where you're planted. That is not going to change. 
You're not going to pray yourself out of, you know, the, the circumstances you're in. What you need to do is pray yourself through the circumstances you're in and trust me and believe that I can walk through this with you and I can help you navigate in a successful way and I can bring you to a, a, a more intimate, closer place with me through this process. God is using the adversity here to draw his children back to himself. So we consider the source of our planting. Next, we have to consider the qualities of the seed that we're given here. Look at verse 3. It says, Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, whatever, Ashpenaz, the, king of, the king, chief eunuch, to bring some people of Israel, both of the royal family and the nobility, use from, without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding and learning, and competent in to stand in the king's palace to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. Now, so Babylon was conquering the world, and what they did during this time is they would go into cultures and they would say, who are the best people here? Who are the best people here? There's a criteria that I want to look at where we're going to take the best of those people and we're going to bring them to Babylon, and then we're going to make them Babylonians because we need people. We need people. Anybody that's ever owned a business before knows that you're always looking for good people because there's, you know, there, uh, uh, an, an incredible employee is hard to find, by the way. Um, but, um, you know, people work, but ne not necessarily the way that you want them to. You know, it's maybe the way they want to. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, you're always looking for good people. And so was Nebuchadnezzar. So he told his chief eunuch to go into Judah and pick out some brilliant young people that there was a criteria that he had to look for. First and foremost, they had to be of royal or noble lineage. So their family pedigree mattered, right? Where they came from mattered. Okay, secondly, they needed to be young. So they were in the age range of 13 to 17 years old, and, and all of this will make sense in a second. Uh, they, they had to be people that were... Uh, you know, without any kind of physical defect. They needed to be beautiful people. Uh, you know, they, they needed to, uh, fifthly, they needed to be skilled with wisdom. They needed to be sixthly gifted with knowledge. They, they needed to have the ability, finally, to communicate, to stand before the king and not uh, be a, a babbling buffoon, right? They needed to be able to communicate the information that they'd been given. Now, what do you find about these qualities that's interesting? You, you know what's interesting about all these qualities? You have nothing to do with them. Like, you don't get to choose what family you're born in. You don't get to choose how you look. You don't get to choose how smart you are. I mean, I'm talking about intellect. I'm talking about people that have photographic memories, things like that. Yes, there's things we can do to increase our knowledge, but I'm talking about people that have a gift, like just are able to, you know, do what I can't do is just be able to speak and re recite knowledge that they read like 50 years ago. They're looking for people that are, that have been, that have been born this way. Now, that's no coincidence, folks. It's no coincidence that these people were born with these qualities in this time frame. Do you know that? God was at work far before 605 B.C., and he planted specific people in this culture for his purpose. How awesome is that? How incredible is that, that the Lord would do that? Now, here's what happens. So they would bring these young, brilliant, beautiful, uh, you know, in incredibly intelligent people back to Babylon, and they were put into this three-year 
um, literal indoctrination program where they would just try and wipe out the lineage of Judah from them completely. They would say, Here, here's the three things we're going to do. Here's the three things we're going to focus on. We're going to give them instruction, Babylonian instruction. So we're going to teach them about astrology. We're going to teach them about math. We're going to teach them about all these different things about our culture. We're going to indoctrinate them with our culture, first and foremost, with our thinking. We're going to give them a Babylonian lens, right? Number two, we're going to change their names to Babylonian names. And number three, we're going to feed them like Babylonian kings. Here's the interesting thing about this is what, what's happening is they're trying to completely and totally wipe away Judah out of their DNA. They're trying to make these people who they were not made to be. And let me tell you something. The world is doing the exact same to you. You are being indoctrinated every time you turn a TV show, the, the news on. Every time you turn into something, you're being indoctrinated with information. Right? The, the world wants to change your name from, from, and what's interesting about it, and I'm not going to go into their names, what they mean, but all of their names mean something towards the God of Judah. But do you know when they change their names, every single one of their names relate to the gods of Babylon? You see the, the point? They're trying to wipe away God out of their existence by changing their names because every time you said their name, they would be reminded of their God. To the, to the Jewish people, their names were a big deal. It wasn't just something they called you. It was your identity. It was a statement to the culture. I am this person. You know, he is my God. These kinds of things. Not only that, but we're going to make them eat like we eat. Now, here's what's interesting about this. Is that, you know, you had to have all these different qualities and all of these kinds of things to, to get into that system. And you could, you could see, you know, being somebody who would be chosen, you're chosen to be this way, would be so tempting, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be so tempting to just be like, oh, I finally made it to Babylon. Look, at, I can live in luxury. I can live in comfort. I can live in peace. I, can, I get to live like a king. You could easily just forsake your God. And the one thing that will keep you from not, from, from, from not doing that or from doing that, is your relationship with God. You see, because they can, they can teach you different things, but they can't take away what you know. They can change your name, but they can't change your identity. And the, the one thing they can do, though, is offer you defilement. And that's exactly what we see happening here. He, he, as we get into the rules Daniel was commanded to follow, look at verse 3. Five, the, the king assigned them a daily portion of food that the king ate and the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Hananiah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, the tribe of Judah. And the king of the eunuchs gave them names. He called them Belshazzar, Hananiah, and he called Shadrach, uh, or Hananiah, he called Shadrach, Mishael. Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. And, but Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to not allow him to defile himself. Now, when Daniel and those guys got assigned their daily portion of food and they were put into this system, you know, they, 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 they said, okay, I can handle the information. 
I, I can do that. I'm okay with that. You know, it would be like us trying to go into the school system and say, well, I mean, I have a serious issue against, you know, evolution. I think it's ridiculous. But here's the thing is, if I teach my kid right, he has, I have nothing to worry about. If I teach my kid the biblical foundation of creation, then he can go into the world and learn all of these kinds of things, and he, he can actually be a force to be reckoned with rather than me being worried about him turning around. What's going to stop him? It's me doing my job. Right? You're never going to... Here's the thing is you can fight against the world and what the world is trying to speak into your kids' lives, and, and that, is a, that is a battle you will not win. Promise. You're not going to change the culture. God's not calling you to change the culture. He's calling you to change people. He's calling you to reach people, and he will do the change in them. But listen, you can go into the school systems, and you can try and remove that information, but here's the deal. It's not a sin to learn about evolution. It's not a sin. It's not a sin for them to learn about Babylonian culture. That's why they don't have an issue with it. They're just like, okay, we'll learn that information. And in fact, Daniel became incredibly schooled in the Babylonian culture as it relates to the information that he was given. Follow me on this. I know you're probably going, whoa, whoa, where's he going with this now? Just follow me. I'm almost there. Not only, they changed the names. Now, you and I would be like, well, hold on a second. You can't change my name. Who do you think you are kind of thing? I have rights and da, 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 da. You know what they did? Change my name. Go for it. Why? Because it's not going, there's, it's not a sin to have your name changed. But for them to eat of the king's delicacies did and was in fact a sin. And that's the one thing that they balked at. The one thing that Daniel said, whoa, whoa, whoa. I can't do that. I can't eat of the king's delicacies. Why? Because it's a sin for me to do that. What I'm telling you is that there's all kinds of stuff in the world that goes on that isn't necessarily, it's, it's indifferent. It's not sinful. It's not necessarily edifying. And in fact, for some people, it's probably detrimental for you to learn about cults and, and what they believe and all these kinds of different things. But it's not necessarily wrong for somebody to do that. It's whatever the Lord, wherever the Lord puts you and whatever the Lord wants to do. You know, it's not necessarily wrong, but, but it is, in fact, wrong for these Jewish boys to eat pork. It's wrong for these Jewish boys to eat meat and drink wine that's been sacrificed to idols. It is against the law of God for them to do that. And so they say, whoa, whoa, whoa. Daniel says, I, I, I have to, it says Daniel resolved in his heart not to defile himself with the king's food. So he refused. And then he started this big rebellion against Nebuchadnezzar, right? No, that's not what he did. We can learn something very, very crucial about how to respond even in situations where sin is involved. Where Daniel, notice the word asks. He asks the eunuch, hey, let me appeal to your humanity for a second. Let me just talk to you for a second. Hey, sir, here's the deal. If I do this, then I am violating the law of God and my own conscience, and I cannot bear that. Why? Because Daniel had such a relationship with God that his relationship was so deep that he said, I do not want to defile myself. It had nothing to do with following laws, folks. It had everything to do with the relationship Daniel had with God. And so he said, no, I don't want to do that. And he asks the eunuch, hey, is it okay if, if you just let me hold off on that and I don't, I don't do that? 
rather than making a, a, a fight about it. Now, maybe at some point he would have. I don't know. But here's the deal is, a gentle answer turns away wrath. And what's awesome is, he asks and he, he's granted that. We'll see that here in a second. This guy put his life on the line for Daniel. Why? Because he asked. And we'll get into that next week a little bit. But, but he simply asked. He didn't try and fight them on this. And, and maybe as Christians, you know, we, we might want to rethink the way that we handle some situations. Like we might want to maybe, in, in our workplace when our boss is asking us to do something that's unbiblical, we might just want to go to him and appeal in, in, a, in a way and say, hey, listen, I'm a believer. Use it as an opportunity for a testimony. Well, I'm not going to do that. Da, 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 da. That's one way you can respond. Or you can go to that person and you can say, hey, man, listen, I'm a Christian, and this is, this is going against my conscience. It's going against the word of God, and, and I can't do that. You know, and, and, and watch the Lord work in that situation and watch the outcome of that situation. Do you know Nebuchadnezzar ends up becoming a Christian? We'll get to that here later. Well, I don't know if he's not necessarily Christian, but he believes in the, the God of, of, uh, of these, these fellas here. We'll get into more of Daniel not defiling himself next week. But, but here's what I want you to hear, man, is that these Babylonians, they took the captivities. They, they took Judah, these kids of Judah, into captivity, and they, they kept their relationship with God. They successfully kept their relationship with God all the way through. And do you know that there are many, many other people in the, in the Bible that were writing at this exact time? that did the exact same thing. Do you know that um, um, Ezekiel was 50 miles up the road from Daniel in Babylon? And he was for one year laying on one side, for one year laying on the other side, just doing all kinds of crazy stuff and like a constant, like a work camp for the Jews. And he was saying, I'm going to bloom where I'm planted. You had Jeremiah who was doing the same thing. He, was, he, was, he spoke beforehand about all of this happening. You have uh, Ezra and Nehemiah who remained faithful to God through this, this entire captivity process. You have Joel. You have Haggai. You have, there's so many biblical characters that came out through this process, and they successfully navigated through this culture. So what I'm, I'm saying to you is it's possible for you to successfully navigate through all the culture that you live in in a way that honors God. You can do that. God can do that. He's, he's, he, he, he's definitely, uh, there's definitely some things going on in our world today. There's definitely some circumstances that we're faced with and all these kinds of things. But here's the word, man. Bloom where you're planted. Bloom where you're planted. And Jesus was the ultimate example of that, folks. Jesus came. He, uh, you know, he, he showed up on earth. He didn't complain about the culture that he lived in. He, he came and he stayed on mission to do what he was called to do. You know, he, he, it, it wasn't that he was indifferent towards the culture and what was happening there. He certainly cared about it. He loved the world that he gave himself up for it, right? But when he came, he stayed on mission and he said, my focus has to be the savior of the world. I will come and be the judge at another time, but it's not now. My focus right now has to be the savior of the world. And you know what he did? He grew up as a little boy. He stayed faithful to God. And when he was 30-some years old, 30 years old, whatever it might be, he went into a three-year ministry. Some of you guys have been in ministry decades longer than Jesus was. But Jesus went into a three-year ministry, and he gave himself 
fully over to the Father. And here's the reality is that he gave his life up at the end of that three years. He, he had the same kind of choices you and I have. And he said, you know what? I'm going to follow God in a culture that was not following God, in a culture that had rules and regulations but had no relationship with the Father. So I think we're in the same kind of culture. So here's what I'm telling you is that it's possible for you to do these things. But it all comes down to one thing, folks, and it comes down to your relationship with Jesus. You know, where are you at with your relationship with Jesus? Are you going to continue to press on and, and no matter what happens in the world today, are you going to continue to press on and live for the Lord? Or are you going to finally just, you know, are you going to get so angry that you self-destruct? Or are you just going to get so upset that you give up and just lay down and die? What are you going to do? The choice is yours. God is saying, listen, I put you where you are. I allowed you to be where you are. The question is, what will you do with it? How you respond matters to your adversity and whatever that looks like. So listen, I want to challenge you today that the Lord is calling us back to a place of real relationship with him. You know, like where we are fully diving in and saying, Lord, I'm doing the things I'm doing not out of routine. I'm doing the things I'm doing not because there's a command involved in it and I have to do that. I'm not doing it because I want to get an A on the scorecard, Lord. I'm doing it because I love you, because you first loved me. And that's the challenge for us, amen? Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, for just, Lord, using this testimony of Daniel and, and these men, Lord. We ask you, Father, now as we respond to the word that was gone forth, Lord, that you would help us in our own hearts, Lord, to just return our hearts to you, Lord, if, we, if we've walked away from you, Lord, if we have gone in a place where we ought not go, Lord, that um, we return back to that intimate relationship with you. Father, maybe for some of us this morning, it's the, for the very first time that we're turning our hearts over to you, Lord. God, we know that repentance is a beautiful thing and that you can, you can bring beauty from ashes when a person turns their, surrenders their, themselves over to you. And so this morning, God, we want to just take a few minutes and we want to we surrender our lives to you, Lord. You're worthy of it. For those of you that maybe don't have a relationship with the Lord, you never called on him as, as Savior, today is the day. Call upon his name. The, the gospel tells us that Jesus Christ came. He lived a sinless life, and he died a brutal death and rose a victorious uh, resurrection for us personally. He took our place. That's called the gospel. And we receive that free gift that God has given us through, through coming to the Lord and crowning him the Lord of our life giving ourselves fully over to him, saying, Lord, you take control of my life now. And it's a simple prayer that you just say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I'm in I'm desperate need of cleansing and forgiveness today. I believe in your blood, Jesus, that it is pure, that it can cleanse me today. I believe that you died for me, that you rose again from the dead for me. And I'm putting my faith in you. And Lord, your word tells us that if we pray that kind of a prayer and full surrender, that our lives will radically change. So we pray for those, Lord. And we pray for those that are believers, Lord, that have maybe lost their path, Lord, 
that you cause them to return today by just crying out to you. And for those of us who are, those, those who, who this morning who are living for you, Lord, continued strength, baptism of your spirit, Lord, that we would continue to shine for your glory, Lord. We do this all out of relationship. So we want to respond to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.